Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. There's nothing better Well, there might be some things better, but it's really good. When you wake up in the morning and you wake up early, seeing the sunrise in the morning is something I never get tired of. I never get tired of seeing the beauty of God's creation. I never, I I literally, I like, I do spend a lot more money in gas doing this, but I don't get tired of driving by the falls. I like take the parkway almost everywhere I go. (laughs) Doesn't matter how far out of the way it is. I never get tired of seeing that. I never get tired. This morning, it was just beautiful driving by there. I never get tired of it. Every day, I feel like um, when we look at things that are beautiful and majestic, a, a new facet comes out for it. We see something that we didn't see before. And I really believe as we've been talking about heaven and we're now in our fourth week talking about it. And so if you're just joining us for the first time today, welcome here. But uh, you can catch up online um, with all of the previous messages. I won't fully go back into those. But as we've been talking about what we believe the reality of heaven is, according to the Bible, it has just been, again, stirring up faith and hope for me. I hope it has been doing the same for you. I hope that it's been giving you a clear picture. It's like driving by the falls another time and another time and seeing a different facet on the escarpment or seeing the water from a different angle or watching the the birds as they're kind of soaring above the water or seeing a rainbow that often happens there. Today, it was like driving through this, this mist that was so ethereal, but then when you broke through the mist, there was these bright rays of sunshine that were, that were beating off the, the hotel glass, and it was just like, man, God, is this a little bit of what it might look like to see that sea of glass that you talk about in Revelation? Is this at all even a fraction of how beautiful that might be? And as we've been talking about what heaven might be like and, and what we might be like there, God has been reminding me that we need clarity with the future so that we have vision and clarity for today. It's really hard to be clear and focused on what we feel our purpose is on earth today if we have no idea what's coming next. And of course, the the Bible is not exhaustive. It doesn't give us every detail, but I believe that it paints a picture for us that is meant to actually stir our imagination and to stir this thing that I believe God has put in us, this thing that's in all of us that longs to explore. I think that there is a built-in component for all of our lives, this, this, this desire, and maybe it's under the surface for you, or maybe it's like right out in front, but I believe we all have this desire to explore and to see something we've never seen before, to experience something we've never experienced before. 
And that's what I believe as the Bible talks about heaven. It's just giving us a taste so that we can set our hope on it, that we can desire something that we can imagine. We've talked about the reality that we believe that what the Bible says is that one day when Jesus returns again to this earth, that he said he would restore everything, not just this earth, not just our lives, but he would restore and renew the heavens and the earth. The whole cosmos will be restored. And we've talked about what that word restored means. It doesn't mean that God is going to abandon what there is and remake it. It means that he's going to renew it. He's going to restore it to its original perfection and design. And we've talked about the reality, and we did last week and the week before, that our hope hinges on the resurrection of our bodies. Bodily resurrection was modeled by Jesus and is the primary cornerstone of the hope that we have. So we don't believe that when you die, you just become a vapor or a ghost or a spirit and that you aimlessly float through the cosmos for eternity, not knowing where you're going or what's happening. We don't believe that when you die, you become a disembodied spirit. God has made us from the earth for the earth. He made us this way for a reason. And so we believe that that we will actually be resurrected in bodily form along with Jesus to reign on this earth renewed for eternity. We've talked about this thing called the doctrine, which just means belief, the doctrine of continuity, that your life doesn't get evaporated when you die, that history isn't evaporated, that there's continuity between this life and the next life. That the relationships that we so love and value, the things that we hold dear, the, the memories that we cherish, and the things that, that give us life and hope even here on the earth, that they'll actually continue. That there's continuity in our personality and in our character, the good parts of it, <laughs> But there's continuity in who we are, in our identity, that we're unique. That, that when we get to heaven, we don't just become these androgynous robot people sort of things. Half human, half cyborg. This doesn't, we don't become Terminator when we get to heaven. Well, maybe. Who knows? We might have the technology to like, anyway. Um, but the bodily resurrection... And the continuity of this life into the next life is a cornerstone principle that we need to grasp. For all of us, the reason that that is so important for you and I today is it's an indicator that God is not finished with you or me. That there is no distance we have walked away from God, nothing we've done in our life, nothing we've thought or said, nothing we could possibly do to make us irreparable by God. This earth and the cosmos when man sinned in Genesis came under the curse of sin and death. But even that, as devastating as that has been, as destructive as that has been, you look at our world today, you see everything that's wrong with it. It's not God who's done it. 
It's the influence and effect of sin and evil. God's not the author of all the catastrophic events of history. It's not his penmanship. It's the destructive influence of evil that's been spinning its web for generations and generations since the fall of mankind in the garden. And our hope is that one day when Jesus returns as King and Lord of this earth and the heavens and the whole cosmos, that he will unravel and unwind all of that, that our lives and this earth and this cosmos, our universe will be restored to its original design, greater capacity, greater influence, greater joy. You think of all of the, the great things about life and just like add a whole bunch of zeros behind them to exponentially increase them. How could we ever believe that God has anything less for us in store? That's what we've been talking about the last few weeks. I want to ask you a question as we get started here. You may have thought about this, maybe you haven't thought about this, but do you believe that when Jesus returns, all of history and humanity will be reset back to Eden? Do you believe that we'll re have to go through reinventing the wheel again? Do you believe that we'll have to learn how to make fire again for the first time? We have this weird idea that heaven means literally the erasing and rewinding of everything that's happened cumul cumulatively through history. But I don't believe that that is the case. When we look at the Bible, when we look even at Genesis and what happened with sin, because of man's sin, God didn't erase what had happened before that. The earth continued when we have the story of Noah and the flood that covers the earth. God did not erase everything that had happened previous to Noah. He didn't erase their memories. He didn't erase anything. He restored and renewed the earth at that time. When Jesus was resurrected, it didn't trigger, you know, a new Jesus that started from scratch again. I believe one of the great hopes that we have is that all of the greatest parts of the history of mankind will be renewed and restored and continued. I believe one of the great hopes that we have is not that we return to this garden where we're back in fig leaves or naked for that matter with nothing to do, kind of staring at each other going, well, uh, I guess we got to restart. I don't think that's very hopeful at all, actually. I believe one of the great hopes that we have is actually that God will take everything that's happened through history and renew it and restore it, restored culture and restored art and restored literature, restored technology. I was leading worship one time for an event. This is like in a previous life, and Tony Campolo was the speaker at it. And um, if you don't know who he, he is, he's just a, a Christian leader, apologist, writer, whatever. He's speaking, and 
I, I, maybe it's because he didn't like the worship that I led, but he got up and literally the first thing he said is, if there are projectors in heaven, I'm going to lose my mind. And that's kind of what his voice sounds like. <laughs> He'll never listen to this, so I'm pretty sure I'm safe. <laughs> I didn't even introduce myself to him before we were co-leading at this event. And, uh, but I think that's a faulty assumption. Is technology inherently evil? You might think so, but it's not. It's the, it's the productivity and the result of man's creativity, which is given by God. We give ourselves way too much credit. Do you think your creativity comes from yourself or just as a byproduct of evolutionary process? Forget it. Your creativity is innately given to you by God. And that creativity has been used over the millennia to build and construct and engineer and design things that ultimately God wants for his glory. I believe that on this new earth in heaven, the things that we make and the things that we do, the, the, the infrastructure that's designed and the bridges that are built and the buildings that are constructed and designed will actually point us to God to Jesus as the object of our wonder and our awe. I believe that when we get to heaven, it's like, you know, we'll have increased capacity mentally and that we'll be able to actually conceive of and dream up things that we can't right now and that all of it will actually steer us to glorifying God. When, when the Bible says that our lives are to be a living sacrifice, that's kind of what it's talking about. That everything on this new earth called heaven for eternity will actually glorify God. It won't be for our own pride and it won't be for our own sense of, you know, um, vanity and things like that. But it'll actually be things that, that point to and, and reflect new and beautiful facets of God. Here's another question. I think this is a, a common misconception based on a misconception of a specific scripture. But do you believe that you'll know everything when you get to heaven? Let me answer it for you. No, you won't. <laughs> Only God is omniscient. Only God knows everything. Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians, let, let's actually just go to that really quickly. Paul said in 1 Corinthians that now we see dimly, but then we will see in full. Now we see only a part, but then the fullness of everything will be revealed. And I'm paraphrasing as I'm trying to flip through. And Why don't we just throw it up on the screen there, Terry, because I'm having trouble finding it. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God knows me. For us to understand what Paul is actually saying here, we need to delve into the Greek a little bit because that word for know doesn't mean omniscience. It actually means to know through learning and observation. That for an eternity, 
We will have the privilege and the pleasure, the joy of of exploring the depths of the knowledge of God that the Bible says fills the earth. Can you imagine for an eternity saying, oh, I wondered about this. God, would you teach me about this? Oh, I've always, I've always wondered about this. Let me investigate it. God, would you speak to me about this? Could I learn how to do this? Could I learn how you view this? Could I learn how you created this? God, for an eternity, will have this capacity and ability to learn more and more and more. And there's so much depth to God that it will never be exhausted. That all of your wondering and all of your hopes and all of your dreams and all of your desires and all of the question marks in our mind will never come to an end. We'll never reach that end point where we say we know everything because God is omniscient and all-powerful. There's no way we could ever know everything that he knows, but it will be our joy to apply our minds and our whole lives to unraveling and uncovering the mysteries of this earth and of our lives and of the cosmos. If you're a person who loves science fiction and you love the idea of exploring and you love that that concept of man going where no man has gone before, I really believe that in some way, in some fashion, you'll, you'll find that hope satisfied. You'll experience the thrill and joy. Do you think that when God recreates the whole cosmos that he's just going to lock us onto the earth? I don't think so, personally. It's my personal opinion. But I believe that God is actually going to release us to explore the glory of his universe, his cosmos, his creation. Maybe we'll actually use technology to do things that we can never do right now. Maybe that will be the thing that brings glory to God for you. Maybe that will be the thing that reminds you every second of the day how great and powerful and good God is. So we have these contrasting ideas of God's plan, and some of us think of it like the Titanic, and some think of it like the ark. And if you have this picture in your mind of the Titanic, <clears throat> then our job on this earth is just to, to jump overboard and pray to God that we find a safe life raft, and just hang on and hold out. But if you believe that this life is more like the ark, then you'll understand that God has actually purposed a, a place, a vehicle for us to actually transport us in safety to eternity with him. The ark was not the end of the story. It didn't sink and go down, but it actually restored and renewed man to the earth. Can I have some water? <coughs> no, don't drink it before. Hey, it's my wife. It's so rude. <laughs> no, it's not. I do that all the time at home. I think it's just instinct, isn't it? When somebody asks you to pass something at the dinner table and then you just scoop, even if you didn't need it, you just take a little bit more potatoes because they're right in front of you. So... <laughs> it's true. Love you, honey. 
Love you. All right. So we're going to return to Eden, but Eden not in the way that you might think. We're going to return to the relationship that God always intended for us, which was intimacy, authority and ruling on the earth, and productivity. Those were the markers of God's original creation with us. So, a couple things. I'm going to blast through these really quickly. Things that the Bible indicates characterize what we're going to do on the earth or what it will be like. We will eat and drink and feast together. It's actually all through Scripture. Jesus went to great lengths when he resurrected from the dead on multiple occasions to eat with his disciples. He went to great lengths to show them that he was physical, that he wasn't a ghost, that actually we would enjoy each other's company together, that we would enjoy the fruit of the earth, that we would enjoy fellowship together, that we would enjoy laughing and talking and relating to each other for eternity. Luke 22 says this, just in case you're wondering. Luke 22, 29 and 30. Say this. Just as my father has granted me a kingdom, now I grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Matthew 8, verse 11, says this. And I, will, I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down. Get, look who he's talking about. This is Jesus talking. They will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. Revelation 2, verse 7, very last book of the Bible, says this. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. So I'm pretty sure ghosts can't eat food. And what would be the point of having a tree that bears fruit if no one can do anything with it? I believe that one of the great joys, I love food. You may or may not know that about me. If you've been with me for more than a day, you'll realize I love food. And it's not that I just love pigging out. Sometimes I do. But I love the textures and the tastes. I love discovering something new on my palate. I love the joy of trying new things. I love being in different parts of the world and trying things that I've never tasted before, as long as it's not gross and disgusting. <laughs> I ate a fish head the other week, and that wasn't the best, but I believe that one of the great joys we'll have in heaven is actually connecting together. We're going to learn together. Number three, we are going to work. So some of us have this idea <laughs> that heaven is like an eternal retirement plan, that the best, you know, maybe if you've worked for GM for 30 years, that's like the, the epitome of, you know, the end of 
work life is retirement, but actually God has a different plan in store for us. Matthew 25, verse 23 says, the master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling the smaller amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The truth is that maybe your work right now doesn't inspire you, which Obviously, then, if you think about working in heaven and you think about doing what you're doing now, that may not actually be something that's life-giving and inspiring. But I believe that in God's mind, our work was always meant to be attached to our purpose and the thing that brought us most joy, the thing that actually caused us to light up and get excited about life. And I believe that actually what the Bible teaches is not that we'll do less, but that we'll actually do more. That not only will we work, that we'll partner with God to be productive on the earth. That, that all of the things that we long for now as it relates to productivity and feeling like we've accomplished something and feeling like we've been useful and feeling like we've had a purpose and feeling these things, that God will actually for eternity be fulfilling that day after day after day and we'll have the joy of, of using our hands and, and our eyes and our senses and our voices and our bodies to actually do something we love that brings us life and reminds us of how good God is. Number four, it's a good question. Will we own things personally in heaven? The answer, if you read through the New Testament and the words of Jesus, is an emphatic yes. Heaven is not a socialist paradise. He doesn't level the playing field and we all walk into heaven with exactly the same everything. It actually says, Jesus said that we were to seek our treasure in heaven. Our treasure, our personal treasure, the things that he has actually prepared for us. Never once did Jesus rebuke the disciples for wanting a reward for their service to him. Never once did he say, that is sinful to think of living for a, a reward in heaven. Not once did he say it. The Bible talks about us owning land in heaven and homes in heaven. The Bible talks about us having riches and blessing in heaven. The Bible talks about personal ownership, having your own crown of glory and of life and of victory, having things that belong to you that are meaningful to you and significant for you. Just think about that for a moment. Doesn't it actually bring us joy today even when we can look at what we're able to produce and be productive in stewarding and handling? in a healthy way, doesn't it actually give us joy when we say, hey, I was able to accomplish that. I was able to do that, that's amazing. Do you think that God has it in his heart to just wipe that out? I don't think so. I don't think so. Luke 16, verse four. Actually, let me read you that Matthew six twenty. It's the verse that I just quoted there.
Matthew 6.20, store your treasures. Whose treasures? Your treasures. Not for somebody else, not to just be put into this big kitty that everybody just kind of pulls from. Store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I believe that what God will enable us to own and to steward will actually be attached to the passions of our heart, will be the things that actually cause us to come alive. Number five, we will inherit and manage in heaven. We have an inheritance that's coming. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 say this, Work diligently at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance when in the future as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. It's so clear all through scripture that God is actually inviting us you and me, to pursue an inheritance from him. An inheritance of authority, an inheritance of responsibility, an inheritance of the ability to steward and manage things. If in heaven there are cities and there is infrastructure and technology, if there are nations and governments and and things like that, then he's going to need people that actually are able to steward them and manage them. Just before Jesus was going to Jerusalem for the weekend where he would experience his death and and resurrection, the disciples around him were picking up on something and they thought, oh, Jesus is, he's leaving for Jerusalem and he's going to set up his kingdom now. This is the moment where he's going to reveal who he is and he's going to set up his kingdom. And so in preparation for that, a few of the disciples pulled him aside and specifically their mom said, can my son sit at your right and left? When you, this weekend coming up, when you establish your kingdom, can they rule with you? And Jesus actually didn't rebuke her for suggesting that. He just said, hey, it's not actually up to me to decide who does that. And plus, my kingdom is different than what you think it is. What's about to happen this coming weekend is not what you think it is. I'm not raising up a coup against the government. I'm actually going to die for the sin of all mankind and give my life as a ransom for them. There's this doctrine that I want to close with. This has really been profoundly impacting me in the last few weeks, especially as I've been studying about it. You see, in church life and in our faith life, we, we believe that there is, to a certain degree, a consequence for how we live on this earth. And we talk about half of it all the time but not the other half. And there are two consequences to all of our lives on the earth, just two. I'm gonna show you them on the screen here. There's two outcomes for all of our lives 
on the earth. One is an outcome related to our faith, where we put our faith in salvation. The second one is an outcome of works. We're really good at talking about the faith one. We're really good at talking about what it means to have faith in Jesus, the the reality that he gave his life for us as a ransom, that, that we don't earn it, that we have faith, but we're really bad at talking about the reality that's found all through Scripture, that works are attached to what we do on this earth, and we will be rewarded or judged based on them. There are two judgments coming for every person that's ever lived on this earth. A judgment of faith that we can't earn. It's just simply, did you receive and accept the gift of grace from Jesus? That's it. That judgment will result in us either spending eternity in heaven with Christ and with God or in hell. But there's another judgment coming, and we've got to get aware of it. And it's related to how we live on this earth today. It's related to what we do with our money and our time and our resources. It's related to what we do with our gifting, with the passion that God has given to us. There's a direct correlation in Scripture between how we live this life and how we will be rewarded in the next life, in heaven for eternity. I want to read to you a short little interaction that Jesus had. Luke 14. Jesus was at this lavish banquet that a rich leader had put on for him. He was the guest of honor at this lavish banquet. And he said, when you put a function on, he's talking directly to the host now. He said, when you put a function or a banquet on. Don't invite your friends, (laughs) the people sitting right next to him, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then, circle that then, then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. That word for reward there is misthos in the Greek, and it means repayment. It's not a gift. It's a repayment for service rendered. It's like you and I getting our paycheck after we've worked. If your boss came to you at the end of a a pay period and say, I have a gift for you, I want to give you a gift, and he hands you your paycheck, you look at him and you go, what are you talking about? I earned this. I worked for this. I deserve this. You see, Jesus came and he gave salvation as a gift. Salvation can't be earned. There's nothing you or I can do to earn our way into heaven. It's a gift that we can't earn by our works or religious activity or service. But Jesus isn't talking about that here. He's talking about something else. He's talking about reward for what you did with your life. He's talking about whether or not you were faithful with what you'd been given, whether or not you released resources into the kingdom, whether you tithed or not, whether you held your hands open to the poor, whether you helped people, whether you gave your life to serving others. And guess what? He said your reward isn't on this earth. You've got to die to get it. 
You've got to die to get it. So stop looking for benefit for serving me on this earth, but know that I am keeping account of everything you do and say, that your whole life matters, that every decision you make matters, that what you do with your family and your friends and your work matters, your resources matter. Jesus is talking about the other side of the coin that we don't like to talk about in church. In Matthew 5, he said it this way, as he was talking with his disciples and as he was talking with the crowds of people. He said it this way in Matthew 5, 12. Be happy. Let me go to 11. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you. When you're mistreated. When you have things that come your way that you don't deserve that are a byproduct of you just trying to live your faith out, trying to express irrational generosity, trying to bring hope to the world, trying to bring life to the world when you're mistreated and mocked and ridiculed for standing up for truth when no one is standing with you. Jesus said, rejoice and be happy about it. Then he goes on and he adds this emphatic, be very glad. You don't even know what's coming. You have no idea. You should be jumping for the hills knowing that this is coming for a great reward awaits you in heaven. Again, that word misthos is a reward that's in direct correlation to what you did. It's payment for services rendered. We have this this gross idea in the church that once we get saved, it doesn't matter what we do with our life, that grace will just cover us, and yeah, grace will get us in the door. But God has designed you and I for so much more than that. He's designed us to partner with him to see his kingdom come on the earth. He's designed us to release our resources to the poor and the needy and the broken and the hurting. He's designed us to walk along those who are struggling and suffering. He's designed us to bring life, to put our minds and our actions and our thoughts toward things that actually build into his kingdom. He's designed you to serve in the church. He's designed you to give your life for something so much greater. And he's not asking you to give your life so that all of it can be erased one day, so that you just go back to net zero. He's asking you to give your life, to lay it down before his feet so that he can give you a reward for what you've decided to do with your life. Your life and my life have greater purpose than we could ever know or imagine. You can impact not just something here and now, but the decisions you make, the things that you do, carry on for eternity. If there's continuity, there may be people in heaven for eternity telling the stories of what you and I did giving glory to God because we stepped in when nobody else would. We served in the church when nobody else would. We gave when nobody else would give. We released our lives to Jesus. 
Make no mistake about it. There is reward in heaven for people who decide to give their lives to Jesus. This verse, if you read in history, if you read the stories of the early martyrs and the disciples, when they went into the Colosseum and the Roman government was feeding them to the lions and massacring them by the hundreds at a time, this verse was what was on their lips. They were living for this. They were dying for this. And yet you and I, it's so easy for us to just get distracted, to to drive into our nice homes and into our comfort and say, God, we'll just ride this out until you take us to glory. I believe that Jesus has news for us today. It actually does matter what we do. The treasure that Jesus said to store up for yourself is related to how you and I live this life today. Salvation is a gift. Jesus isn't talking about salvation here. Salvation is a gift. Listen to what Jesus himself said in Revelation 22, last chapter of the Bible. Closing words and remarks from Jesus. He said, Revelation 22, 12, look, I'm coming soon, bringing my what? My reward, my mythos, bringing my payment to you for everything you were willing to do for me, bringing it with me. I will repay people according to their deeds. I'm the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Guys, our life matters. I'm not joking when a year and a half ago when Rochelle and I were just wrestling with what, asking God, what do you want us to do in this life? And I, you all know the story. We don't need to go into it, but I didn't want to come here. I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't want to preach every week. I didn't want to give my life to the church. We wanted to move back out west. We wanted to be back in the mountains where our hearts come alive. And as I had been studying this even years ago, I literally sat on the couch and I said, God, I will trade 30 or 40 or 50 years away from the place my heart longs for because I know for an eternity you will fulfill my desire and my joy will be complete in you. So I'm willing to lay my life down now. I'm willing to do the things that no one else would do. I'm willing to choose you now, God. Because I know in eternity you're going to fulfill every desire and longing in my heart. You're going to make it come to pass and fruition. When we have eternity in our hearts in that way, it gives us a new clarity and perspective, focus, determination, hope, vision for this day. What is God calling you to do with your life? It doesn't matter if you're 90 or 9. I'm just praying and saying, God, I want to make up all of those years I just kind of squandered away. 
Would you help me to be effective as a leader? Would you help me in my family to be the father you're calling me to be? Would you help me to be the husband you're calling me to be? Would you help me, God, when I'm afraid to talk to my neighbors about you, when I'm afraid to tell them even what I do for a living, would you help me maximize the time that I have? Time is short. Because what we do here and now reverberates through eternity. Jesus said in Luke 19, there's a parable, you can read it, we won't read it, but he entrusted wise servants and he said, I'm going away and I'm going to get my crown for my kingdom and when I come back, I wanna know what you did while I was gone. He gave them all an equal amount of resource and he came back and he said, all right, what did you do with what I gave you? And the first man came, came and he said, you know, you gave me one and I produced 10. And Jesus said, well done. Because of that, get this. So Jesus is talking about heaven. He said, because of that, I'm going to entrust you to lead 10 cities in heaven. I'm giving you that much responsibility in heaven. The next man came and he said, I got five. And you know what's really interesting? Jesus didn't say, well done. He said, I'm going to entrust you with a measure of five, which you've done. I believe that you and I have exponentially more capacity than we believe we even do ourselves. And that God is calling us to be the kind of people who go from one to ten who add a zero to the end of everything we do in faith, knowing that actually if we work for the kingdom of God, if we release it now, if we release it now in faith, if we give our lives in faith, that he will multiply our efforts. He is strong when we are weak. Why don't you stand up with me? I want to read you this last verse from Paul in 1 Corinthians says this, but on the judgment day, that day is still coming, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. That's you and I. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. That's the same Greek word. Payment for services rendered. Not a gift. That's salvation. That's different. The builder will receive a reward, but if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Guys, my heart longs. My heart longs. With Jesus... I was thinking about this the other day. My opa died when I was just a baby. I don't remember him, I was like two months old. I believe that I'm gonna meet him. And my heart longs for him to say, Andrew, I'm so proud of you for how you lived your life. I'm so proud of you for doing what you did and deciding what you did, for making the choices you did. I believe that, that part of the joy we'll have in heaven is that the loved ones that we have that have gone before us will actually be there championing us and cheerleading us and saying, we're so proud of you for what you decided to do.
We're so proud of you for how you maximized every part of your life to have purpose and meaning. Isn't that what so much of us longs for is meaning and purpose? To know that what we did mattered, that it counted for something? To know that it does count for something gives me great hope. That this world just doesn't end and then it's all lost, but that what I do today in faithfulness to God will be experienced and lived in for eternity. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.